Anger is a fundamental emotion for every human being. And for many, in order to take anger out, it's through breaking something. Well, this is not only true for most human beings in the real world, but also the fictional world. In Ray Bradbury's Fahrenheit 451, his fictional characters aren't any different. They're still subject to the same sort of emotions. And exploring the final section, Burning Bright, in Fahrenheit 451, it continues to expand on the emotions one may feel and how characters may take certain actions in order to release this emotion and sort of build up an anger, as well as communicate some very strange messages on how anger, information, and society all play together. So without further ado, how does one really take their anger out in Fahrenheit 451? Well, of course, in this dystopian future, our protagonist Montag sets it out with fire, in which, of course, fire purifies everything. The great equalizer in this dystopian universe in which nothing is any different. Well, where we left off, where there was a lot of suspicion on Montag being associated not only with books, but also Faber, his professor and teacher, also his partner in crime in their mini-revolution, Montag is brought into the fire station. And of course, while he's being basically interrogated by his captain, Beatty, the alarm sounds. So off to work they go. However, in not only did they want to burn books in the original, but burning books was only part of it. It turns out that this alarm brought them to Montag's home in order to burn his livelihood. And as soon as they arrive, they find Mildred, Montag's wife, leaving the home. Not only did Mildred actually call the alarm, but she basically completely threw Montag out the window and after getting into a car, speeds away at 110 miles per hour. Now, throughout the entire novel, Montag and Mildred do not have the greatest connection, and this really spells it out here. Not only did Mildred not care at all about Montag, but she actively took the time to stab Montag in the back. Well, of course, not only does Beatty use this against Montag to diminish him further and further, making him powerless, he has Montag finish the job. He has Montag set his own home flame. And of course, after basically losing everything, Montag gives in and releases his anger, reducing everything to ash, just as no thing can be greater if both are reduced to the same pile. Well, of course, when the deed is done with a flamethrower and kerosene, BD congratulates him. Congratulations, you've destroyed everything you've worked for. You're under arrest now. Because of course, books are illegal. And if you have a book, congratulations, you're going to hell. For some odd reason. But of course, BD can't give it up there. He has to continue egging him on, using literature and weaponizing quotes of literature against Montag. Basically taking every quote you could possibly think of and taking the context out and just saying, hey, this is what this means, therefore I'm right. It's funny, but whatever. In a sense, mind you, Montag is still armed. He has a flamethrower. And of course, Beatty gets closer. He makes fun of Montag. He continues to make fun of books. He continues to diminish Montag. He continues to marginalize him. Montag pulls the trigger. Now, Beatty is nothing more than a screaming pile of flames. And while Beatty might be preoccupied burning to death, 
The hound, our mechanical death spider, is not. The hound is armed with a needle, which is coated in a very power and aesthetic. He stabs Montag in the leg, in which now Montag's leg, a non-lethal area, is compromised. However, of course, the hound is still also reduced to a pile of molten flames. But of course, when you have a wet, freaking dull leg, you aren't able to move. And as someone who not only has committed murder against their own captain, but has harbored books, two counts of crime against the state, congratulations, you're a criminal, you're a fugitive. So Montag runs. He makes a run for it. Because where else do you go? Now, as Montag has been running through the city, dodging cops, dodging alleyways, dipping in left, right, and center wherever he can, cleaning himself up in a gas station in order to throw off his trail, he comes back to the same place, he comes right back to Faber, and he has a bit of a revelation as he's doing this. Where's he going? How, why does he even go? How does he even know where he's going? All back to Faber, in which not only is Faber an individual who does not deserve to be tied in with Montag, as he's a very elderly man who is only barely able to hold his cowardice in check from the state, but also an individual who deserves something. And this is what Montag continues to believe. Faber has also set his life on the line for basically a lost cause at this point, because the revolution is virtually dead. But of course, Montag wants to compensate him. So after running left, right, and center, dodging salamanders and fire ambulances, and also dodging police helicopters, as well as more hounds with, that are tracking him with supposed super advanced tracking technology via smell, chemical aroma, Montag gets a second to speak with Faber, in which they take the time to look at what's going on on TV. What's going on in the news right now? Well, of course, it's glorified, in which Montag is, of course, blamed as a criminal, as he actually is, but he's also being, his death would bring about a sort of patriotism, in which criminals should be killed. Criminals who harbor criminals should be killed. Criminals who are harbor criminals who harbor themselves against the state should be killed. And this is all in the name of patriotism, in your good old American dream. But moving on from that, not only does Montag basically give Faber all of his belongings and all of his earnings in order to actually preserve his life, but Faber actually plans this, in which he then plans on taking the 5 a.m. bus out of the city. Mind you, it's roughly 4.30 at the time of this. And after that, Montag leaves. Faber washes down everything, puts the sprinklers on blast, uses alcohol to wipe the doorknobs, uses aerosols in order to kill off any sort of smell inside the home, burns the rug and bed sheets that Montag had touched, and burns the chair Montag had sat in. With that, the two part ways. Not harboring anything against each other, but rather hope that the other survives their journey. Montag continues to run, of course, and surprisingly, the anesthetic has worn off after a surprisingly short period of time of running. However, of course, Montag runs to the river, 
and wants to take it upstream in order to get to a different area, which is the railroad. While the dystopian future may be incredibly advanced and we're focused on a lot of things and sort of travel and technological entertainment, the railroads still exist. They're not used, but they are still landmarks of previous civilizations. And along these railroads, there are sort of hobos, if you will, members of the intellectual community that are outlawed because they're smart. They're traditional professors, teachers, even philosophers. There's even a lot of priests and preachers from churches. Well, this river not only gets Montag's smell off the trail in which now the city is unable to track him, but the river is able to hide him from a lot of aerial units in which the police helicopters aren't able to find him. Of course, however, not only do the police helicopters pivot after not being able to find him, they don't admit they're unable to find him. What they do is they look for an individual who just happens to be out for a walk and then kills him. This is then glorified as Montag, in which this is then blatantly used and blurred out and censored and manipulated in order to make it seem like the situation is under control, while Montag actually is away and actually watches the event happen. But stepping back, there are a handful of messages. While how absurd the state is and how incredibly unjust it is, it's not any different. When the book was written, it was just at the height of the Cold War and, the world, and world wars, in which states were incredibly weaponized against each other and were also incredibly polarized, as well as there was panic amongst, amongst the populations, in which states and governments were using the, the war to uh, use it as propaganda and polarize individuals. For example, McCarthyism, in which individuals were polarized against communism because communism is inherently bad. It's the devil's practice, if you will, in which individuals were then considered communists who were then considered Russian sympathizers and then possibly killed, lost their job, was fired, and lost all their livelihoods. But there was no evidence for this. Just as the city-state in Fahrenheit 451 also creates this false propaganda in McCarthyism and victimization for, and criminalization of individuals who just want to read a book. So too has there been a lot of previous examples. Today, there's a lot of previous examples. For example, India versus the Muslims versus Hindus, even the Pakistanians and the prosecution of them. But another message. As previously mentioned in the last session, this sort of revolution that Faber and Montag continued on, it had a handful of avenues, and it never actually got anywhere specifically. However, if anything, it's simply the way I would interpret it is in which if you have an opportunity to create change, you capitalize on it. Despite capitalism being incredibly bashed in the novel Fahrenheit 451, as basically the devil's practice, capitalizing on sort of opportunity is promoted here, in which you have the opportunity to create change and you have the opportunity to learn. Why not take it? And in addition, while you may seek this knowledge, you should seek wisdom in how to utilize this, this knowledge. Ultimately, this for me circles back to one of the biggest themes that I explored when I first read the first section, which is the Earth and the salamander. Well, my biggest thing here was nihilism, in which 
The book, it deeply explores how individuals in the society don't have meaning. Their only meaning is to stare at screens and buy products and basically be alienated and brainwashed by the state. Well, Montag kind of explores nihilism and finds his own answer to life in which individuals should seek out knowledge and this knowledge should be used to experience new things like the interactions he had with Clarice during her life. But for me, I was a bit taken aback. As the end of the novel, Montag is really left alone with these professors along the railroads in which their plan is to undermine the society. So their revolution is still on. However, they can't do anything. They even admitted themselves that the only way they can do something is to simply sit and wait. Whether it be decades or so, or even centuries, they'll simply pass knowledge on to their children and their children's children. And ultimately to me, it seems like Montag is not happy with this, in which simply it's waiting. There's no point to this. The revolution has no meaning if nothing is done, because ultimately revolution and ideology is based on action and personal philosophy. And Montag is basically told, sit, listen, don't do anything, and wait. So I walk away from Fahrenheit 451 with a lot of mixed signals, but ultimately I think it's quite interesting. Not only do the characters really explore scenarios that we see, just as our society has moved towards technology and how we're always connected, everything's on the internet these days. So too does their civilization do that. And Ray Bradbury really explores how this technology can be used to alienate individuals. Not only that, but also what happens when an individual experiences their own epiphanies, in which what happens when happiness is cheap? finds happiness? What is the meaning of life? What is the utility of man? And ultimately what this means for outside beings. But I think it's a good read, in all honesty. It's a very, very short novel, but it explores a lot of deep ideas that are not traditionally talked about within education or popular or like social interactions. For example, the biggest thing that you probably hear in social interactions daily is just like, oh, police violence, uh, communism, capitalism, international politics. Uh, the newest iPhone 58 plus has just been released. Things like that. I personally would suggest taking time to look into other ideas, maybe individualism, utilitarianism, and exploring the themes that they might have and how that might reflect today's society itself. But hey, that's just my opinion.